we are one more week after this. We'll have this Sunday, next Sunday, we'll wrap up our series on prayer. Uh, but again, during this 21 days of prayer and fasting, our heart has been, oh Lord, help us to be a people who pray better, pray more consistently, pray well. The first part of Matthew chapter 6, we talked about the position of prayer, we talked about our hearts in prayer. And then last week, we talked about how to start well in prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then today, the title of our message is the petition of our prayer. How to bring our needs to God. You know, if it hasn't uh, taken a lot this last couple of years during 2020 to find out that one of our things that we've probably been uh, as society, especially as Americans, kind of veiled to is the fact of how needy we really are. You know, our present culture where you can go to any grocery store, get anything you need. You can go on Amazon and order anything you need at any point in time. You can even Amazon your groceries, by the way. I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, I, during the pandemic, you know, everybody's been talking about elderberry and all this stuff. And so I saw it pop up on my Amazon one day that I needed, that, you know, that, that you could buy whole elderberries. And I'm like, man, yeah, you know, I don't want to get sick. Order some of them, put them in my oatmeal one morning. Didn't know that you have to cook these suckers or they're toxic. And uh, so I ended up, you know, having to call poison control later that day when they didn't, didn't quite sit well with me. But I'll spare you all that. But anyway, uh, we, uh, again, in our fast culture, we can get anything at any point. But when the pandemic happened, it kind of showed us real quick that we're dependent on a lot of people. We're dependent on society. We're dependent on supply chains. We're dependent on security from others. And if the pandemic did anything good, and there's been a lot of tragic that has happened during the pandemic, but if it's done anything good, it's probably served to show us how needy we really are. Probably one of my favorite 2020 memes was the type of guys that girls found attractive uh, prior to the pandemic and then after the pandemic. Do y'all remember that? Like the, the one picture is a hipster guy. He's got the little bogging on. He looks like a model, got the cool haircut. And then it says now after the pandemic, and it's a picture of like Mad Max from uh, Mel Gibson or like one of the Swamp Brothers, you know, those guys, the big guy with the overalls and no undershirt and a shotgun. You know, it's like, hey... You know, things get bad enough, I need a guy that's going to provide for me, you know. So we see some of that. And the truth is, one of the things that we found out during this season is that we really are needy people. And the truth is, is that God has designed us this way. God knows that we're needy, and He designed us in such a way that we cannot be completely dependent on ourselves for everything we need in this life. God designed us in such a way that we needed Him and one of the greatest ways that we express our need of God is in prayer. So if we pick up in verse 11 of, the Lord's, uh, of the, the Lord's Prayer, you start to see Him teaching us how to pray and petition Him for our needs. He says, Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our debts, as we've also forgiven others, our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, there's a few observations from this passage that I want to show us today to help us be able to understand that we can bring our petitions before God and even what those petitions should look like here today. So if you're keeping notes, our first truth this morning is this. First, we need to know that God cares about our physical needs and has invited us to bring them before Him daily. The clear picture here in this text of Jesus inviting us to bring our physical needs to Him is at the beginning in verse 11 where He teaches us to pray, Give us our day, our daily bread. He's speaking about our physical needs. Now, I'll say in a few moments 
But I do believe that our spiritual needs are even greater than our physical needs. And I think Jesus even shows us this in this passage. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, he teaches us to pray that for, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. I think spiritual should come first and should take the lion's share of our prayers. However, God is a gracious God. And he knows that often the things that are most important to us are the things that are right in front of us. And so as he's teaching us to pray, he deals with our physical needs first. So let me give you a few facts about bringing our physical needs to God in prayer. First, the picture of us asking God for daily bread reminds us that God invites us to bring him our daily needs. It's important to note that as Jesus is teaching the disciples how to pray here, he's doing so in such a way that he is modeling the prayer. He's actually saying, pray in this way. And he starts that passage off saying for us to pray, give us this day. Now we know from the rest of the scriptures that Jesus is not teaching us to pray in an angry or arrogant tone here. As in such a way we would look to heaven and say, God, give me this. That's not what he's saying here. But we also know that he's not teaching him to be afraid to come to God and ask him for specifically what, are, what we need. That is exactly what he's doing here. We know from the rest of this passage, he starts off for us to pray in such a way, Our Father who is in heaven. Like we talked about in the last several weeks, God invites us as a father to come into his presence through his son Jesus. I got to take Jackson yesterday, my uh, middle child, my oldest son, uh, my stepdad was invited to, as he owns a Ford dealership, and he got tickets to go to the Alabama-Arkansas basketball game. So we went to the Coleman Coliseum, and they were club-level tickets, okay? So I had no idea what that means, but what it meant to Jackson Reno is at any point he could get up from his seat, walk back to this place, and get as much free ice cream as he could possibly eat. And what was so great is we didn't belong in there. Can I just say something? It was really clear that I did not belong in that place. But my stepdad did. And so my stepdad went before us and he said, these are with me. And so because he had invited us in, we belonged. We had a pass. The same is true in our relationship with God. We didn't belong in the presence of God, but the son has come and said, that one is mine. And has invited us to come. We see it all over the scriptures, God inviting us to bring our needs before God because God cares about us. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. Everything, he says, let your requests be made known to God. First Peter essentially says the same thing in verse 7, telling us to cast all of our anxiety or our cares upon God because He cares for us. And I love how the author of Hebrews says this, For we do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is tempted in all ways as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence, knowing that I can go to the throne of grace and receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. Church family, we're a needy people. God knows we're a needy people. And through Jesus, He has invited us to come. May we never lose the reality of that old hymn that says, What a friend we have in Jesus. All of our griefs and sins to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. The second truth we see here about this, about praying for our daily bread, reminds us that God cares about the small but important details of our lives. Jesus invites us here to pray for bread. 
to pray for daily bread. Now, in our society, this often can seem small, but I'll say this to you here today. If, if you're hungry, bread's not small. But for many of us, in a, the blessed society that we are in, we forget to think about bringing to God the very small details of our life. We often think about bringing God the big stuff, you know. Oh, God, I'm going to pray about when I need a job or when I need healing or I need something like that. But when it comes down to the small details, you know, God, I'm, I'm just going to take that on myself. That's not the way God has called us to live. He's teaching us to pray for our daily bread. A good illustration of the fact that Jesus cares about the small details of our life is the fact that his very first miracle was that he made water into wine at the request of his mother. Jesus inaugurated his supernatural ministry by ultimately keeping a family from being humiliated from running out of wine. He stepped into somebody's social situation. Isn't that good to know that God cares about the details? There was no reason for him to turn water into wine except just to care about that family and the request of his mother. God cares about the details of our lives. Luke chapter 11, verses 11 through 13, shows us how we should see God as a good father who cares about our physical needs. It says, Now suppose if one of your fathers is asked by his son for a fish, he will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he asks for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? We need to know that God has invited us to bring the details to him. And he'll provide. You know, one of the things, uh, I saw this work out in my life very clearly several years ago. I mentioned uh, a couple weeks back that several years ago I was involved in a pretty tragic car accident. And of all the things that went around that, one of the minor details uh, was that I totaled uh, my vehicle. And, you know, we're a one-income family raising kids, and y'all have lived in this world. You know, you, you can't just go out and buy a car whenever you want to buy a car. You've got to, you know, basically stagger that. We buy one, we drive it till the wheels fall off of it, and then we buy the other one one, and then we just kind of swap in and out. Well, well, this kind of got Kimberly and I backwards on that. We got the insurance money, we bought her car, so we had a car payment again. But I took the car that was supposed to be the one that we're, we were getting rid of, and it was Kimberly trailblazer that had about 300,000 miles on it and that none of the instruments worked inside of the dash. You didn't know how much gas you had. You didn't know how fast you were going and the interior lights didn't work on the dashboard. So if you were driving at night, you had to depend on the speed of everybody around you to know how fast you were going, okay? So I was back to driving this car and I remember coming home one day and I was just worried about that. I was worried about these little small things and, and, and I was walking in and the Holy Spirit convicted me and said, Zach, have you prayed about that? And I, and I was like, no, I mean, it's just car stuff. You know, God, I, and I'm telling you, the Lord would not let me walk into my house until I laid that before him in prayer. So I turned around and I looked at this trailblazer and I said, Lord, I thank you for it. I know it's rough, but it gets me where I need to go. I thank you for it. But Lord, if you would ever work it out again, I don't know how financially we could do it. But if you would ever work it out again where, where I could have another truck, uh, I pray you'd work it out. About a year later, the Lord put on Kimberly and I's heart to, to give something generously above and beyond our needs to someone else. After we gave that gift generously, there's a whole other sermon here. Uh, a few days later, a man that I hardly knew gave me a call. And he said, Zach, I've never heard from God like I heard from God this last week. But I'd sold some property, and from the proceeds of that property, God told me to buy you a truck. And in just a few weeks later, the truck that I drive now was sitting in my driveway. Folks, I refer to that as Jesus' truck. That's not my truck, okay? 
Can I say what that did to my heart? What it reminded me that God cares about the details. And it also reminds us in this passage, praying for daily bread reminds us that God is pleased when we bring Him our daily details. As I mentioned before, there's more to unpack in this passage where He talks about praying for daily bread. In the first century Jews, the picture of daily bread would have reminded them of God working in the lives of their ancestors in the wilderness after they have been rescued from bondage in Israel. If you've been reading your one-year Bible, you've read these stories recently, that as the children of Israel in the wilderness, God provided for them daily for their food by sending down what? Manna from heaven. And they couldn't take more than what they needed. They could only take enough for that day, twice as much on the day that prepared before the Sabbath, so that they had to be daily dependent on God. The purpose of this wilderness season was to teach God's people how to learn how to be daily dependent and trust in God and for them to learn and see that they serve a God who can meet their needs. As Jesus is telling the disciples here to pray for daily bread, he again is reminding them to pray, trust me in my daily to meet your daily needs. He's trying to show them, I'm not a distant God, I'm a good father. I believe that there's nothing that pleases the heart of God more than a people who will live and trust in Him with daily faith. I believe it's one of the greatest ways that we can begin to do this is in prayer. I love the stories of George Mueller. If you want to read something that will stir your heart, read the autobiography or the biographies of George Mueller. George Mueller was a missionary and founder of an orphanage in the early to mid-1800s in Bristol, England. He was known as a man who was absolutely dependent on God for his daily needs and the needs of those in his charge. In his biography, it speaks of a season of great dependence on God. This is what it says. Mr. Mueller's problem was one of trusting God for daily supplies. There were three houses to be maintained, about a hundred orphans to be clothed and fed, The daily expenditure was heavy, the rent considerable, and the personal needs of his helpers were great. In addition to this, the work of the institution, assisting schools, paying teachers, running Sunday schools, and helping missionaries demanded a constant stream of money flowing in. Early in 1838, sickness fell heavily upon Mr. Mueller. And as was his custom, he went to his knees in the midst of his affliction. While reading the Bible, his eyes fell upon the 68th Psalm in the course of his meditation. The words, a father of the fatherless stood out in mighty letters as a divine promise in this stressful hour. This word, a father of the fatherless, he affirms, contains enough encouragement to cast thousands of orphans with all their needs upon the loving heart of God. After this moment, on September 18th, the funds were exhausted. And Mr. Mueller thought of selling the things that he could have done without in the homes... This morning, he writes, I had asked the Lord if it might be to prevent the necessity of our doing so. That afternoon, a lady from London who had been staying in Bristol brought a package with money in it from her daughter who had sent it several days before. That the money had been so near, declares Mr. Mueller, for several days without having been given is plain proof that it was in the heart of God to help us But because he delights in the prayers of his children, he allowed it to wait until we had prayed. So to see our faith and to make that answer so much sweeter. Church family, God loves to bring our daily needs to him so as to make us not only trust him, 
but also so that we can be a people who have personally seen our manna from heaven fall from his hands. God wants us to have our own God stories, to grow in our faith. In fact, I believe that sometimes God allows us to go through seasons of great dependence because He knows that the faith that grows in our heart during these seasons will mean much more to you than having everything you need exactly when you need it. Without testing, there's no moments of God stepping in. Without trials, there's no moments of provision. Without pain, there's no moments of rejoicing. And so as we bring our daily needs to God, our daily bread, God wants to show up as a daily God. Church, you can begin living this way even tomorrow. You can get up tomorrow morning and start laying your every request before God. Pray for your daily food. Pray for your daily travel. Pray for safety and favor and transportation to work. Whatever weighs down your heart, pray for it. If something comes up during the day, immediately start to pray. Lay these requests before God and then sit back and watch God step in and answer your prayers. There's nothing that will stir your heart more and keep you coming back in prayer more than to see a God who steps in and answers our prayers. The second truth today... It's not just that God cares about our physical needs, but God also cares about our spiritual needs and has invited us to bring them before Him regularly. We see Jesus inviting us to talk about spiritual needs in the latter part of Matthew chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer. He says in verse 12 and 13, He says, Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I'm going to give you a few facts in this passage of Scripture about how to pray for our spiritual needs. Fact number one, this passage reminds us that the quantity of our spiritual needs outweighs our physical needs. Now, don't get me wrong here. Jesus just told us to bring our daily needs before Him in prayer. God cares about our physical needs. But if you look at the length and the detail that Jesus... Just one little statement... Give us our daily bread. But then greater statements about our spiritual need and the amount of time that he goes into shows us that we've got a greater need in our physical and our spiritual lives than even in our physical lives. God doesn't want us to just be a people who are thriving and, and amply supplied for physically. But God wants us to be a people who are full spiritually. Let me say something to us this morning, church. If our prayers are always just about the physical. And if God steps in and just answers those physicals, pray those physical needs, pray God. But as our, if our heart is empty, then what do we really gain? There's a couple of reasons why our spiritual needs are greater than our physical needs. First, our commitment. Our commitment to Jesus reminds us that our greatest needs in life are not physical but spiritual. When you give your life to Jesus, what you're ultimately saying is, is Jesus, I am making you Lord of my life. And your name and glory means more to me than anything else in my life. So naturally, my mind and heart should be focused on spiritual things more than physical things. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, Paul spoke about this. He said, For while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Our contentment in Jesus also should remind us of the priority of our spiritual needs in prayer. If you're a follower of Jesus, you know what satisfies your heart and life is ultimately Him. And the greatest 
fulfillment of your heart and life are not just when our physical needs are met, but it's when our spiritual needs are met. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So as we pray and call out to God about our, our needs in our life, our spiritual needs should take a huge portion of that. And that doesn't mean that our physical needs can't be prayed for, but our spiritual needs should be at least equal, if not more, than our physical needs. And one of the greatest ways that you can gauge that is what do you pray about? Man, if my heart is fully invested in the kingdom of God, then what I pray is going to give evidence to my heart. I'm going to end up praying for things like a deeper relationship with God. I'm going to pray for greater hunger and understanding for His Word. I'm going to find myself praying for my friends and neighbors to come to faith in Christ. I'm going to pray that, God, I would experience Your presence more and more. I'm going to pray for spiritual things. Church family, let me ask you the question today. Do we long for the kingdom of God more than just the daily sustenance of the world? Do we long for the bread of the world? But also, do we long for meat from heaven? Our conclusion in life also should remind us of the priority of our spiritual needs in prayer. Ultimately, the things in this life that will matter the most are the things that will matter for all eternity. Think about it when we pray. What are we praying about that's going to matter a thousand years from now? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. How many of us in our prayers, honestly, are storing up treasures on earth? Again, there's nothing wrong with it. God wants to meet our needs. But God's got so much more for us than just daily bread. He's got manna from heaven. He's got purpose. He's got joy in Him. He's got so much more. And this should be seen in our prayers. This is fact number one. Fact number two from this text is that forgiveness from God is one of our main spiritual needs. Jesus teaches us here in Matthew 6, 12 to pray, Forgive us of our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Now the word debt here does not mean monetary debt. The actual word that's originally used there in the original language means missing the mark or to not do or meet what is required. And he's talking about the requirements of God. He's ultimately talking about sin. So he's saying, forgive us my sin, and forgive those who have sinned against me. Jesus is not only teaching them here how to do that, but he's also teaching them how to model that. He teaches them to to say, hey, ask God for forgiveness, but I'm also going to forgive others also. So there's that truth there, and we won't spend a lot of time on that this morning. But the main aspect that he's teaching them to pray is to be regular in confession and repentance. Let me give you some reasons why we need to call out to Jesus for forgiveness today. First, we often need to call out to Jesus for forgiveness because we're prone to sin. Can I get an amen on that this morning? Oh, come on now, y'all lying this morning. Can I get an amen on that this morning? Come on, man, that's us. As the hymn says, prone to to sin. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. My heart within me longs for Jesus, but often the dead flesh around me longs for something else. Paul says the things that I want to do are the things that I don't do. The things that I don't want to do are the things that I do. Wretched man that I am. Who will save me from this body of death? We live in that right now. Praise God for His grace. But the reality is is that because we have this battle with sin, we're regularly going to have to have a conversation with God about it. 
1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 9 speaks about this. For believers, he says, For if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. He says, you're, you're, you're lying. You're, you're living in a false area if you say you have no sin. But then praise God, he says, But if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. This needs to be a regular part of our life because we're prone to sin. Often, we also need to ask God regularly for forgiveness because it pleases our Savior. Now, some may ask the question, why do I need to ask for forgiveness if I have put my faith in Jesus and believe that all of my sin is already forgiven, past, present, and future? Hey, this is a really good question. Why do I need to pray for forgiveness if my sin is already forgiven? It's important for us to deal with this today because some believe that if you don't ask for forgiveness for every specific sin in your life and you die in that state having not confessed something, that you are no longer a child of God and you will stand under the wrath of God. Can I say something to you this morning? That is not the gospel. The Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus said in John 10, 27 and 28 that all that the Father has given me are mine and no one will snatch them out of our hand. So why do we need to pray for forgiveness if everything's already forgiven? Let me give you a good example of that. John MacArthur said this, speaking of this. He said, believers have experienced once for all God's judicial forgiveness, which they received the moment that Christ was trusted as Savior. The eternal judge has declared us pardoned, justified, righteous. No one, human or satanic, can condemn or bring any charges against God's elect. Praise God for that. But because we still fall into sin, we frequently require God's gracious forgiveness. He forgives then, not as judge, but as father. What MacArthur is saying here is that before I came to know Jesus, I was sinning against a holy judge. But after I've come to know Jesus and I sin, I'm sinning against my loving Savior. Essentially, when I'm asking Jesus for forgiveness when I sin as a Christian, I'm not asking that my sins be removed or atoned for again. That has already happened at the cross and is completed forever and ever. Amen. However, when I ask God for forgiveness, I'm doing so that my intimacy and my relationship might be restored. Let me give you a good, good example of this. I am my children's father, and I love them whether they're good or bad. And that's okay. I'm going to love them either way. But when they're bad, it does grieve my heart. Rightfully, even though I'm a child of God, my sin still grieves the heart of God. And I expect my children to come to me in repentance and seek forgiveness, not in an essence to make sure that I'm still going to be their father, but to restore that relationship. Church, we should regularly come to our Savior in humility and see, seeking forgiveness if we fail, simply because we love Him so much and we just want to please Him. And if we've grieved His heart, we want to make it right. And can I say something that's beautiful here? Jesus teaches us to pray regularly for forgiveness because he knows that we're going to be regularly in sin. But he also teaches us to pray regularly for forgiveness because he knows that God is perpetually going to be there to forgive. Isn't that good? He invites us to come because he is ready and willing to forgive. Also, we need to ask for forgiveness, and this is just a side note, because it can keep us from continuing to perpetuate greater sinfulness. Simply put, the more regular we are in confession and repentance, the less likely we are to fall into graver and greater sin 
and the less likely that sin is to become a stronghold. We used to call this keeping a short account with God. Basically, if I sin or if I step out of, out of God's will, then I immediately go to God and fix that and kind of clear the account. But if I let that continually build up in my life, then sin always, the enemy always has a way for sin to increase. And when we do that, it not only injures the heart of God, but it also can lead to greater brokenness in our lives. I heard a poem one time that says, When my hands are not folded and my knees are not bent, when my eyes are not tearful and no prayers are sent, then what will be expected and what will be solved but the increase of my failures and the coming of my fall? Regular repentance guards against growing sinfulness. And then finally, fact number three, as we bring our spiritual needs to God in prayer, praying for protection from sin needs to be a regular action. In verse 13, after he talks about asking for forgiveness of sin, he then shows us how to pray for protection from sin. Matthew 6, 13, he says, Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, how many of you have ever heard the statement in sports terms that says the best offense is often a good defense? Here in this text, Jesus is essentially saying the best way to keep from having to ask for forgiveness is to be proactive and ask for protection. Jesus is not saying here that God would ever tempt or lead any of us into sin. But he says, do not lead us into temptation. The Bible makes that clear, James 1.13, that God will never lead somebody into temptation. The best way to interpret this text is essentially Jesus is saying for us to pray, Oh God, help me to avoid temptation when it happens, because it's going to happen. And oh God, I pray that when it does happen, that you'd give me the strength to overcome this. It's important for us to pray on the front end, God lead us not in temptation, deliver us from evil, because Jesus is reminding us here that he takes sin seriously. Yes, it's paid for at the cross, but that doesn't mean that believers can't still walk in it and suffer the consequences on this earth. One of the most heartbreaking things for me as a pastor is to counsel individuals who know Jesus, but because they didn't keep a short account with God, because they haven't been regular in confession and repentance, sin has built up in their life. Very rarely does somebody lose their family, lose their job, end up in some big moral scandal because of one sin and one failure that just came out of nowhere. More than likely, more than often, it's because it continued to build. There was swaying on the front end, and it just continued to get farther and farther away from God. And church family, this is not what God wants for you. You know what's so beautiful? When we pray for God's protection, He gives it to us. He makes us more aware of sin. He makes my eyes clearly see it more. How many of you have been reading through the one-year Bible recently? Can I see your hands here? How many of you read through Proverbs about the adulterous woman in recent weeks? I've got a discipleship group of a bunch of young guys, and it came up one week, and then it came up again the next week, and one of the guys in the group said, Hey, man, that woman, she's everywhere. Scares me to death. And I was like, yeah. And I think the reality is, is it reminded all of us in that room, Hey, God, pray. Help us to see her a mile away. Oh, God, lead us, not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18 says, For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Isn't that good? Jesus is able to come to our aid when we're tempted. But finally this morning, as we wrap up, I want to give you one last truth. As we bring our needs to God, physically and spiritually, because that's part of prayer life, to bring your petitions to God and God invites that. We, need, we also need to know how to end well in prayer. Now, when I say end well in prayer, 
I'm not talking about stopping to pray because the Bible actually says that we're to be a people who pray without ceasing. So we're to live in a perpetual state of prayer. But what he's talking about here, and we see this clear conclusion here at the end of the Lord's Prayer, where a moment where every, all your petitions, you are prayed up, man. You have laid it all before God. And the truth is, is that when we get in these moments, sometimes laying it all before God means that you've laid some urgent needs before God. You've laid some desperate things before God. Sometimes you, you, you've got to be able to lay these things before the Lord and get up and be able to say, God, what do I do now? I've put it in your hands. How do we end well? Well, this last verse in Matthew chapter 6 says, For yours is the kingdom, and yours is the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, I do want to just theologically, real quick, let you know something. There are some translations that actually exclude that passage from the Bible. Here in the New American Standard, it's in brackets. And the reason why, because in some earlier manuscripts, this verse is not, this latter part is not there. Some actually believe that it was a, a doxology that was added later as a way of using it as a, a prayer that people can use. But I don't think that should disturb us here today because whether Jesus said it or not, I do believe it's Scripture because if you look at 1 Chronicles chapter 29, 11, it's David's prayer. David actually prayed these same, these same lines in 1 Chronicles 29, 11. You can go home and look at that. I personally believe that Jesus is just quoting David here, that it, it was originally in the, in the Scriptures. But either way, in 1 Corinthians chapter 29, 11, David prays this prayer as a moment of concluding a moment with God. So it still serves the same purpose to us here today. It's still the inspired Scripture. And it shows us, I believe, about how to walk away in faith, as we've laid these things before God in prayer. How to, how to genuinely end a moment full of faith in prayer. Let me give you a few things that it says here. First, we need to have, have an attitude of humility as we pray. Yours is the kingdom. Essentially means, God, you have full authority. Whatever you desire is my desire. There's something to be said about even in the hardest prayers we pray to say, God, I don't get it, I don't understand it, but God, you are in full authority. There is nothing that's happening, nothing that's going on in my life right now that you have not seen. God may have not caused it because I don't believe God causes everything. He certainly doesn't cause sin, but he's sovereignly in control of it in some way in the lives of his children. So one of the greatest ways to end a moment in prayer is just in humility say, God, I know yours is the kingdom. You are in control. And so I'm going to humble myself before you in that. Then we need to pray with an attitude of expectation. I love it. He says, yours is the kingdom and the power. There's something about ending in a moment of prayer. When I've laid everything that I can before God, when I put all of my hurts, all of my brokenness, all of my desires before God, and I'm able to say, oh God, and I believe that there's nothing that you can't do. God, yours is the power. I trust you. There's nothing that you can't do. Even just knowing, God, I fully submit to you. God, you'll do, I, you can do whatever you want to do. But God, I know that you can do anything. Yours is the power. And then lastly, we need an attitude of worship. Now, this is just freeing as we pray. And yours is the glory forever and ever. Amen. Say, oh Lord, what I want more than anything else more than healing. And God, I want healing. More than answers to prayer in this moment. God, I want those things. More than anything. God, what I want more than anything else in the world is, oh God, would you be glorified? Would you be worshipped? 
And that means sometimes even, God, if it's hard, I pray that you would be glorified, you would be worshipped. And there's something about coming in humility, but also expectation, but ultimately in worship that allows me, when I do that, to step away in a moment of prayer and say, God, I've laid it all before you, and now I'm going to walk away. You know, when Scripture talks about casting your cares upon the Lord, I think that's a picture of this. In prayer, saying, God, I've laid it before you, and now I'm going to get up, and I'm going to put it in your hands. Can I say something? When you're struggling in life, you've got to do that at the beginning of the day. Sometimes, again, you've got to do that in the middle of the day. Sometimes towards the end of the day, you've got to do it again. And you know what? You keep doing that enough eventually, even if it's just those moments. Oh, God, fill my heart with the joy and confidence as I've laid this before the King who is able, and may you be glorified. Church family, I love that the God of the universe has invited us to come to Him in prayer and bring it all before Him. Can we say amen to that today? Let's give the Lord a big hand. Praise Him for speaking to us here today. I'm going to ask our instrumentalists to come and make their way back up. Some of you may be asking, say, hey, man, why you got an hourglass up on the... Uh, we're going to start timing our services now. Uh, this is a joke. I'm not really doing it. Somebody said, hey, is that for your sermons? I was like, yeah, man, I got an hour now, man. Y'all about to bring it. Uh, you know, again, we got next week, we're going to wrap up our season on prayer. And I've got a little gift for you next week. Uh, hopefully... Um, Again, we're talking about supply chains. Hopefully it comes in next week. If not, we'll give it to you in the weeks ahead. But to remind you of this, but my heart as your pastor is that we would become the most prayerful church. Not in this area, that's boastful. We would be the most prayerful church that God wants us to be. And that we would be the most prayerful people that God wants us to be. You know, we're believing God for things in our lives personally. We're believing God for things in this community. That's why we pray. That's why we fast in church family. Let me say something to you here today. We will not baptize 100 people in a year. We will not plant churches and we will not send people to the nations. We will not see a community changed and families restored. We will not see those things if we do not pray. That's a spiritual work. That is a heart work. And that only happens when we have the Spirit of God working in and through us. Now, we can, we can do church. We can go through the motions, be here on Sundays and be here on Wednesdays and go through the motions. And, 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 and from the outside, everybody will say, hey, that's good. That's a good church. Church, can I say something to you as your pastor? I don't want to be known in this community as a good church. I want to be known in this community as a place that God resides. And if you're here this morning on Sunday morning, you're not here just to come to church. Even if really that's the only thing that got you in the door this morning. If you're here today, and I believe you're here to meet with God. And can I say, one of the greatest things that's going to hinder that, or one of the greatest things that's going to aid that is prayer. I got a pastor friend of mine who was mentored by a great godly guy. He had just given his life to the Lord, and he was being discipled by this guy. Later would be called to preach. And I love to hear him talk about prayer. And this is what he said at their very first breakfast, the guy came in and gave him an hourglass. And this is what he said to him. He said, it doesn't matter what I teach you, it doesn't matter what you do from this point forward. What matters more than anything else and what will change your life more than anything else, what will mark your life with the presence and power of God will be that you make the decision to flip this glass every day and spend an hour with Jesus. To just spend an hour with Jesus. Church family, one of the greatest things that's going to make us become a people of prayer is that when we've all set aside with Jesus and just met with Him, 
Again, some days it may look like you just reading your Bible and praying those scriptures back to the Lord. Some days you may come in with a heavy heart and you just say, God, here I am going to lay all my requests before you. Someday you may be interceding for others. And again, I've got prayer cards where I do that for our church family, where I intercede for us. It looks different every day, but church family, listen to me. God of the universe is inviting us to come. And if you've ever tasted and seen that the Lord is good, if you've ever truly met with God in prayer, that's what will keep wooing you back. That's what will keep consistently bringing you back to in prayer because God has met with you there. And church, this is what He longs for us today. He's invited us to come. Isn't that awesome? God is inviting us to come. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. See all the portals. He's waiting and watching, watching for you and for me. He's inviting us to come. So I want to ask you to stand this morning. And as you stand, I want to invite you all over this room. Maybe you'd bow your head and lift your hands. And say, oh God, would you make me hungry for you in prayer. Make me a man and a woman of prayer. Right there where you are, call out to him. Call out to him. Maybe some of you in this room right now, you need to say, oh God, thank you that you have forgiven me that I haven't been. Some of you need to hear that this morning. Some of you this morning need to pray, Oh God, thank you that you haven't given up on me. That you're still inviting me to come. Call out to Him right there where you are, church. I'm going to say one more thing to you this morning. If you're here today, and you couldn't imagine spending an hour in prayer because you don't know God. You know, church... But you don't know God. Can I say something to you here today? I don't believe it's by any mistake that you're here this morning. We pray every week that God draws individuals here that do not know Jesus. And maybe this morning, God is drawing you. You need to know this, that God of the universe became flesh in His Son, Jesus. And He died on the cross for all of your sins. Everything that would separate you from God, He took it for you and paved a way for you to come to Him. And this morning, He wants you to come to Him. The Bible says, whosoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. I'm going to ask you, if you want to come to know Jesus this morning, right there where you are, would you just call out to him? You can pray a prayer like this. You can say, dear Jesus, I don't know you. I don't really know you. But I want to know you. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. And I believe you love me. And I make you the Lord of my life. Save me, oh God. Save me, Jesus. Is that you in this room? Did you ask Jesus to save you? With every head bowed, every eye closed. Nobody looking around. This is just between you and me. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. But if you ask Jesus to save you this morning, would you just glance up at me? Just make eye contact with me right there where you are, and I'm just going to pray for you. Is that you here today? Would you be bold enough just to do that? Say, Pastor Zach, I asked Jesus to save me. Would you just keep your eyes on me here this morning, just for a moment? Is that you today? Amen. Others in this room, you say, Pastor Zach, that's me. Amen. 
others here today. Is that you? Don't worry about anybody else around you. This is your moment with God. Did you ask Jesus to save you this morning? If you did, as we sing, I'm going to invite you to take out that little card in the seat back in front of you and you just write your name on it. And Mark, I gave my life to Christ today. You can come forward and tell one of these pastors as we pray and we sing here in a moment. If you'd like to join our church, you feel free to come forward. Or you can come find me right at the conclusion of the service. If you looked up at me, I want to see you. Just stop by. I'll be right over here at this little welcome area. And you just come and let me know. We can talk to you about your first steps with Jesus. But let's all meet with the Lord here in these next few moments as we sing. Again, you feel free to come if you need to join. If you need somebody to pray with you, our pastors will be here. Let's worship the Lord together. Brother Michael, would you lead us?